Hey good people, this is your N.I. Dom back with another reflection. And this is a personal journal for contemplative people looking to think, grow, and have impact in the world. So hey, I am thinking about three things. Two things might be related, um, but we'll see once I get into the reflection. Uh, what's been on my mind uh, over the past week or two, maybe longer, but in a, in a more pronounced way, is what I'm calling soft domination or soft dominance. The second thing that's on my mind is the INTJ-8 versus the INTJ-5. And then the last thing is finding your land. Finding your land is another way of saying finding your home, mm, your space. So those are the three things that are on my mind. Um, and we'll start talking and <laughs> see what's going to happen in this reflection. If you're new to this project, this is a personal journal where I process my inner and my outer worlds. I do so primarily by using personality theory, the two that I use the most are Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram. Pushing those two systems together, I identify as an INTJ-8. I also identify as an African-American woman from a lower socioeconomic background and from intergenerational trauma. I'm a trained and practicing educator and social scientist of about 30 years. And I playfully identify as a critical race feminist, just so that people understand my intellectual sensitivity to power showing up in social constructs such as race, gender, class, sexuality. And those really aren't, that's not it, but those are the easiest to explain. I've been saying my sensitivity to power, and it occurred to me recently to say my intellectual sensitivity. Because it's not an emotional one. It is just an, a keen ability to see how power plays out in the social world in relation to these social constructs and social institutions and the socialization process. So I just really see it at, an, at a nuanced, a subtle level, and I don't have to put any effort into seeing it. It jumps out. It screams. Uh, it's it's like watching a movie and seeing subtitles. I walk through the world with subtitles around um, power and uh, social constructs and the socialization process. So anyway, critical race feminism is just the best way to get people to understand that I'm doing that kind of magically and annoyingly sometimes. <laughs> like some people don't like to go to the movies with me because um, I... There's a term called being a buzzkill, and that's definitely me. <laughs> so, anywho, um, is, is a buzzkill? No, that's not it. That's not the, is a buzzkill could be one of them. It's not a buzzkill. That's not the word. Oh no, it's gonna it's, it, it it escapes me when it comes back to me at some point. Some point in time, I'll share that with you. But at any rate, this project is unedited and it is unscripted. It is truly a personal journal that I'm doing so publicly. Um, 
And so that's that. If you want to know more about me or this project, feel free to go to my website at yournidom.wordpress.com. So um, it's been about a week since I've recorded. And I, I, oh, that's not true. I recorded yesterday, yesterday morning. But I haven't really been in a flow. That's just because I'm dominated with my with reflections around work. And I don't really want to bore you with that until, unless I knew I had an, a followership. If I knew you guys were doing leadership work or education work, um, I wouldn't mind sharing that with you. But I'm not, I don't get the sense that that's what you guys are into. So I'm just really like hesitant to, um, share my thinking right now because I, I mean, I'm really thinking about work and, you may not be here for that. But um, that struggle of thinking about work in this project is what I talked about yesterday in Elevation, the episode. I called it Elevation. So do check that out, okay? So in addition to thinking about work, um, I think I told you at the end of yesterday's reflection that I've started dating. And um, I think I've been dating someone for the past year, but it was not... Um. It was in this like murky, undeclared way. And, uh, and like I told the individual, it was sending mixed messages. Um, and I ended that. I ended it three days ago. <laughs> I ended that friendship slash undeclared dating ship just because my, my 10 year relationship that I ended recently. Uh, in the last few years, it started off almost identically. It was almost identical to this space of hanging out, having this connection, having this bonding, uh, like an attachment bond forming. Yet we're not naming it, but it's forming all the same. And there are expectations forming and, um, Ways in which we're sharing each other, not necessarily sexually, but we're just sharing of ourselves in this undis- undisclosed, undeclared way. And 14 years ago, 15 years ago, when I met this individual, and it was my ex, and it was undi- undisclosed and undic- undic- undisclosed, undisclosed, undeclared. Why am I trying to say undeclared? Not declared, undisclosed. I don't know. You can, I hope you, hopefully you guys know what I'm trying to say. It was awkward. It seemed weird to me, but I pushed through it thinking, okay. And that was really the undertone of the whole relationship. If, if you had, you know, an hindsight. And so after about a year of doing that, doing this same kind of unspoken dance with this next individual, I just decided a few days ago, I didn't want to do it anymore. And um, it was a hard decision. I had been thinking about it. And it was unfortunate because, like, my tire, I've had a busted tire a couple of weeks. I was able to call the individual over and get help. You know, this individual helped me to move. So the individual has been very helpful. I'm deeply appreciative. But there's this other thing, this other tension point. And I'm a grown-up now, you know. I'm a grown-up, and I want to be in grown-up relationships. I'm incredibly open-minded. So if you, I don't, I don't need to be in a, 
and then uh, I'm going to make up some words, you guys. I don't need to be in an, in an exclusive ship, an exclusive ship where it's one-on-one and we're dedicated to each other. I don't need to do that. I don't, I don't feel it. I don't even feel I have the emotional capacity to go into anything really serious at this point in my life. I'm still trying to, even though I feel better structurally, you know, I've talked about recovering um, structurally. Uh, my, my life fell apart in that 10-year relationship that started in this ambiguous way. Um, I'm no longer in this, I'm no, I'm no longer in the hole or the tunnel. But um, I'm not really where I want to be, number one. And the other thing I've thought about since I've started formally dating someone else, it sounds weird to even say that out loud, I don't even know if that's something I want to do. I don't know if I want to get in another exclusive ship in the spirit of making up words. You guys, the neighbor's dogs upstairs are home alone and looking out the window. So every time someone goes by, they're having a fit. So I actually think they're fighting. But anyway, they sound like they're still living. (laughs) Maybe they're not fighting. They just bark at the people outside. Anyway, let me get back to what I'm saying. (laughs) So I, um, I don't have a desire. Like I think about what's required to be in an exclusive ship. I don't have that. And I don't have it. As a matter of fact, I don't, I wonder if I ever had it. And I think maybe that's, I have a number of theories, y'all. So you just have to bear with me. When you listen to me, you go, I thought you explained it this way. This, And now you're explaining it in another way. I don't know. I have a number of theories. But one theory is, and I may have mentioned this before, maybe that's why my world fell apart because I had to use so, put so much energy into doing exclusive ship in a way that's not natural for me. So instead of using my energy as I had been and being ambitious and moving and growing about in a world, I was using that energy to be in this, to function antithetical to who I actually am at my core. And I just took too much energy and I didn't have energy to do the other stuff. And then my world fell apart. I mean, I think that's important, you know. And I try to not blame my ex for all of the, excuse my language, but all the shittery that unfolded. Because some of it, I mean, not some of it. I have to own it. I have to own that. I have to own it. It was on me. I made the choices. I negotiated with myself in these ridiculous ways. and uh, But anyway... So I've just been thinking about that. Like, um, I don't know if I want to do that again. (laughs) I don't know, y'all. The flip side of that, though, is companionship, an activity partner, a thought partner. I I like those things. Um, And this individual that I've started we just have had a couple of dates, but it definitely seems like something that's going to be ongoing. But not taking up a lot of my time during a week, and I love it. I love that, y'all. I really, really do like it. So, anywho, 
going back to the, the quasi friendship that I ended a few days ago, I, I brought up this dating shit versus exclusive shit just to say, I don't have to do it one way at this point. Cause that one way, the, the one way, the conventional way, I don't think it's me or I wonder if it's me. And you guys know I recently did a re- episode on polyamory. It's not that I, and I think my hesitance, so definitely I have an interest. I have an intellectual curiosity about polyamory. But it's, but here's what I don't, I'm not interested in. I'm not interested in having a multiple sexual, how do I say it? My interest in polyamory is not about multiple sex partners at all. Not at all. And honestly, I don't even think it's about multiple romantic partners. So I looked up this article. I was looking up multiple um, uh, different forms of attraction. I think I may have mentioned it to you guys a few days ago, a few episodes ago. And um, I can't remember how many types of attraction there are. But I want to say at least 15. And romantic attraction is only one type of attraction. That's that feels good, but I don't know, y'all. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I don't even think I would want multiple romance, uh, a romantic attack uh, attraction. This article that I found really was liberating for me because I think it fits. I can't even begin to, um, I think it just fits into this question I'm asking about who am I outside of being a friend, outside of, who am I as a lover? I don't like to even use that term. Because doesn't lover denote sex or romance? But I don't think, I don't know if, I don't, I don't know if I live there. I don't know. And somebody listening to me might be saying, you just haven't found the right person. Well, can I tell you something? I don't want to meet the right person because I just don't feel like being absorbed by that. I don't feel like just being swallowed up by that energy. I just don't have it. At least not today. Now, if I come on this podcast a week from now, I'll be like, guess what? Let me tell y'all something. (laughs) I come on here all smitten. Then you be like, she found somebody. <laughs> somebody that's making her change her mind on all of that. But anyway, but it did, I did, ha- I'm going to bounce around a little bit. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bit scattered. So just hopefully you guys can bounce with me. Um, I did think in the last few days about how do INTJs do, well, I, let me say this. I actually thought. How do different INTJs do sex? That's what I'm going to be honest with you. I did think that. And I was thinking, when I say different INTJs, I'm talking about with Enneagram variants. Five, eight, one. Those are the three main ones. Uh, but I've listened to this lady on YouTube. I've talked to her about, talked about her before. I don't know her name. I think she had eight, five, one, six, and three as the, it was four or five of them. Hell, you might as well name all nine of them then. But uh, anyway, because I do know a couple of, I know two INTJ sevens. But anywho, um, I did, I wonder, like, you know, you know, you hear, I hear people in the typology community talk about 
um, how INTJs date, do romance date. Yeah, date. I may have seen one chat room where they talked about sex, like actual sex. I wonder why that's not discussed. This is um, other INTJ young lady. I've seen her a couple of times just within the last two months. And I like what I've seen of hers. I just haven't really gotten into her videos. Just haven't really like invested time in her videos. Where she's doing these like strategies. Like how to, how to be productive. How to do this. So she's more into um, helping people. Kind of not be INTJs, but to INTJs can be very productive. We can mastermind, kind of helping other people tap into the gifts of the INTJ. Where the other two to three INTJs that I follow on YouTube, they're not really, they're not really talking about how to do life. They're really just talking about what does it mean to be an INTJ. But this particular lady is talking about how to be like successful and productive in life. I would imagine that she has other people following her beyond INTJs. Anyway, I digress. But I haven't really seen anybody talking about how, (laughs) how do the cognitive functions influence choices you make in the bedroom? That's funny. Anyway, I'm not going to stay there. But that is a question that was on my mind. So beyond what you do in the bedroom in terms of literal sex, but then there's a romance. But then I can expand it out. Let's look at all forms of attraction. I know it's more than 15 based on this article. But let's, let's look at multiple forms of attraction. How do INTJs enter into those realms, those different types of attractions? How... What does, how does an INTJ look in those areas of attraction? Oh my God, I just went off into several rabbit holes, didn't I? All I really wanted to say was that this individual, I could be very open about the kind of attraction we had. Oh, you know what? This is, I didn't have the words to it just now. That's the problem. There it is. I just figured it out because it's kind of been bothering me. Like, if this is a friendship, why did you end it? Like, it was somebody I could call when I needed help. There's a part of me that's like, why did you do that? Why did you end that? That's because of there was a there's an attraction there, and it's an unspoken attraction. There are these unspoken expectations, and it was I didn't like it. And I don't know if that's an INTJ thing. It feels more like a the eight part of me. And maybe I didn't want to be vulnerable to that. More than likely when I think, I don't even want to admit that out loud. That's the eight of me. I'm looking at my little Enneagram book. Let me read y'all something right quick. Good old Dr. Be- uh, Dr. Beatrice Chestnut in her book, The Complete Enneagram. So, sorry about the noise. Um, it starts off for chapter four. I'm going to read. I don't even think I'm going to read the whole paragraph, but let me start reading. Type eight. Rep, um, let me start over. Type eight 
represents the archetype of the person who denies weakness and vulnerability by taking refuge in fearlessness, power, and strength. That's all I'm going to read, just that one sentence. Type 8 represents the archetype of the person who denies weakness and vulnerability by taking refuge in fearlessness, power, and strength. And, uh, yeah. And maybe that undeclared place was making me vulnerable. I did say periodically, you remind me of my ex, you remind me of my ex. But I didn't like that framing. I, I, I mean, post-friendship breakup, if you will. I, I'm like, damn it, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have framed it like that. Cause I don't think it's just about me, like saying this individual reminded me of my ex makes this about me. And then this individual doesn't have to take any ownership, any ownership of their role. Someone once asked me, why do I strip, why do I strip gender identity when I talk about dating across dates? And there's something kind of, um, I think it speaks to my feminism. There's something, there's power located in stripping the gender from it, for me. One day I should come back and do a reflection on that. I haven't really processed it. I started doing it and I just found that I really like it. There are so many assumptions by the matrix, by the social world around dating and gender that I love disrupting that. So many. Anyway, but anyway, so I, I am very well aware uh, that you might be aware that I'm aware. Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, but yeah, I just think it was, um, I don't, I think saying, oh, you remind me of my ex puts it all on me. You don't, you don't have to take any ownership of what you're doing in the ambiguity in the bond that we're, that's forming. There's a bond, there's an attraction and you don't have to own it. I kind of am feeling that way with this next individual. Like there's no naming of the bond. And I've just, I really do feel out of my element, you guys, because I don't know. I'm not a prolific dater. I'm not, I don't have the appetite for people, to be honest with you. Um, I just don't. Anyway, I feel like there's so much I want to say here, but this is what, this is not anything I said I was going to talk about when I hit the record button. What did I say? I said, uh, what did I say? Finding your land, INTJ5 versus INTJ7, Owen, soft dominance. Um, so, um, it was a reason why I wanted to just, I got into the dating conversation because I wanted to just share what has been going on in my life other than the job and and I think both of those experiences, what's been happening for me at the job and this dating, quasi-dating I'm doing, they're both presenting this issue of soft dominance to me, like making me think about 
myself as a soft dominant person. And it's just something that I am, I think, intrigued with. I'm processing it. So let me try to explain to you what I mean when I say soft dominance. So I think I may have talked about it because, it has, you know what, I probably have mentioned it in the last couple of episodes because it really has been something that's on my mind. So I'm going to use the Enneagram to do this part. Um, in uh, Type 8s are considered to be antisocial. I've said this already. And I also said the subtypes, there are three subtypes, social, three subtypes, excuse me, social, self-preservation, and sexual. Um I do believe I'm a social subtype and um, social subtypes are the um, counter type. So in the Enneagram, each number, uh, each, each number has a sub, uh, has a counter type based on one of the three subtypes. So the counter type for the type eight is the social eight. The self-preservation aid and the sexual aid are both indicative of the eight personality. The social subtype is the counter type. So some people look at that social subtype as friendliness. I, I really, I said, I just talked about this. So I'm sorry if this is on repeat, but this is on repeat in the brain. Um, so the social subtype is friendly. Friendlier. <laughs> so not friendly as in other types. So it's really going to be careful when you say that the social aid is the friendly type because that is not true. We're friendlier than the other two eights, the other two subtypes of the eight. We also are uh, understood, we being the social aid, we're understood as the solidarity type. And if I'm not mistaken, maybe loyalty. I'm not sure. My loyalty might be a stretch. Hold on. Okay, I just put put you guys on hold. I was trying to find the other the other word to see if it was loyalty, but it, it is solidarity. And then as I was reading, it says we are the social antisocial. <laughs> anyway, and then maybe, I don't know. Anyway, so because I'm social... Antisocial. The top layer, if you think about like a circle, you have three rings. You think about like the earth and you have the crust or the core and then you have these outer layers. And so my outer layer is about I want to say Belonging, that's not true. I actually resist belonging. It's a really weird, it's a really weird phenomenon, you guys, because on one hand, um, I like there's safety for me as it relates to a group, like a group as in a concept, but not group as in people. And so if I'm, one of the things I love about as being an educator is I belong to this school. I belong to this district. I even like the idea of belonging to a state. Or I'm from this city, right? I like belonging to concepts 
that I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I do not know how to explain this. This is the first time I've ever tried to explain this idea. So just bear with me. But once I'm in that, once I have that association of the group, I don't want to be pigeonholed by the group. I don't want to be expected to act like the people in the group. I don't want to be expected to think like the people in the group. I don't want to do what the people in the, I don't want to do. They're all going right. I'm going to say, I'm going to go left. So I try to maintain my autonomy and my individuality in the group. But I want to belong to the group. That's like a contradiction, isn't it? Welcome to my world. <laughs> I don't know. And I didn't even think I was going to say that. So like in my perfect example with my family. And I think my survival is in the group. Which is what the whole subtype idea is for. In the the way Dr. Chestnut uh, describes it in the um, for the Enneagram subtypes. It's for my survival. So I can be, I belong to my family and all that. But I'm not playing the game that my family plays. Now, in the game that my family plays, and I've talked about this before, is this projection that we are this thing when we're clearly not. So we are, the thing that we project to the world only exists in the projection. It doesn't exist behind closed doors. But it's projected out. And I don't I don't play the game of the projection. Now as I sit and think about it, I wonder if I ever did at some point. I think that's where the type one part of me comes from. When I look like a type one, plus I feel like as an educator, there's such a Puritan culture inside of education. I could see me being influenced. I could see that education has had an impact on that one part of me. But, um, or why I can look as a one in some cases. But I think this idea that I was, and you know what? This is probably what it is. I didn't set out to represent my family when I went to college. It was for me. But once I started seeing the power it gave me in the family, then I leaned into that as an identity. That I was I was this person in the family. It's all pretty gross if you ask me. And I can clearly see the people in my family who fed in, who got in my head with that. You know, this is who you are. You're this person. You're the role model. You're this. Uh, and I, it gave me powers. It gave me standing. And I tried to live it out. But it only lasted so long. <laughs> it only lasted so long because I'm an individual. And, uh, and when I stopped playing the part, I lost my standing in the family. So I don't think that I was doing the belonging ship. I don't think I projected the story of the family my entire life. It was just a season. I want to say between. 
I want to say roughly 24 let's just say 25 to 35 but that's not that's not all of my that's not all of me so anywho that's an interesting thing that just came out of this reflection hmm so anyway, I don't even know if any of this is interesting, but I mean, anyway. <laughs> but it's been pretty violent in terms of, or I shouldn't say violent physically, because uh, it hasn't. I have not had, I have not been physically abused by my family. Um, I have had a couple of people who wanted to fight with me physically, one who did. Um, and I shut that down. And then last year I had a, uh, one cousin wanted to fight again. And, I, and I'm like, what's so frustrating when I try to tell her is that the conflict that you feel with me has nothing to do with me. It's the family dynamic that you're, that you're feeding into. Because for a while, I was treated, and I didn't realize this. I had to come to terms, and I had to accept this for a while. There was a moment where I was treated like the golden child in the larger family, not in my immediate family, but in the larger family with my grandmother and my cousins and all of that. And so people used me in terms of what I was doing, and I was because I was representing the family. I made the fa- I did my part going to college, doing these things, making us look good. You know, not that I was the only one doing it, but I played my part in that projecting out. And for people who didn't do that, who didn't project out the family image, the way the family dictated or desired, then they were made to feel that they were in comparison or less than. Now, I wish I would have understood that when I was being the one lifted up. But once I did figure it out, I started rejecting the idea. I stopped, I stopped playing the part. I stopped playing it. And it was a hostile, the, the family space became hostile. And it's fine. I've talked about that enough. Anyway, um, but anyway. But up until recently, that was the place of belonging for me, up until my grandmother's passing. And and maybe it was going to happen. I, some, a part of me wonders, did I stop belonging to the family when she passed? Or did I stop belonging to the family when I stopped portraying, stopped playing the role? Um, and it was probably a combination of both. I probably stopped belo- belonging before she passed because I stopped playing the role before she passed. And then when she passed, there was nothing else keeping me tethered in. So anyway, you guys, I, I really realized I have some stuff I do want to talk about. <laughs> so anyway, so that idea of belonging, um, that's a perfect example of wanting to belong somewhere, but not wanting to play the part. And what the text says here, hold on, let me find it. I'll put you guys on hold again, and I don't know what I, why. But in the, in the process of, 
I was looking for something. It'll come back to me. But I did finally find the word where it says loyalty. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> now I lost it again. I'm going to dare put you guys on hold again, and then we'll see if I forget. One second. Okay, here we go. I'm, I'm going to read for you guys. This person is social antisocial. In contrast to self-preservation aids, social aids are more loyal, more overtly friendly, and less aggressive. They are helpful aids. Um, yeah, so that's about it. But it, that, I knew that loyalty, that word loyalty was coming from somewhere. Um, going down further in the page, it reads, Socially, social aids like the power a group offers. And they may have difficulty engaging in more individualized relationships. And so the, if, and maybe that's what the belonging is about. It was about power. And I, that makes sense. I just don't know if I understand it well enough to explain it. But it does, it seems right. Um, and those individual relationships or those individual expectations in the group. Mm mm. Mm mm. It's unnerving for me. It's unnerving for me. I want to read one more thing because I want to get back to this idea of soft dominance. Overall, this eight appears more mellow and outgoing and less quick to anger than the other eights. They tend to rebel in less obvious ways. They are very active and they may lose themselves through constantly being in action. They may display a disproportionate lust for projects or for collecting things. <laughs> um, yeah, I could say that, you know, I've, I've, in the last 10 years, I've learned to throw things away. But I still collect notes. You guys know I love my notes, my notebooks. I would say I, would say I collect those most, my reflections I hold on to. Anything that is going to be uh, symbolic of, of, of me reflecting or my growth. But this idea that um, I'm more mellow than another eight, more outgoing and less qu and less quick to anger, that's that outer ring of me, right? So the problem, this is just something I was thinking, so I was trying to explain to someone yesterday. The problem is this. On the surface, I look that way. I look like I'm less quick to anger, I look more easygoing. I look mellow, right? I give off that energy until you poke the core, right? So if you never poke the core, we're fine. But what I realize is that as a dominant person, you, okay, this is just what I, I don't have a way to explain it. I'm wondering, and I probably have talked about this in the past, in the social world, based on a social hierarchy, it's a hierarchy. Either I'm going to project out that I have dominance over. Because if I don't project dominance over, now I am vulnerable for someone project, projecting dominance over me. If I don't project dominance over people, then I'm at risk of being dominated. Now, this is what I mean by the core. 
another personality type in the Enneagram system may not look at the, they may not worry or they may not be sensitive to being dominated. So the idea of dominating over to protect yourself from being dominated isn't a thing because they don't, they don't, they don't get the reading of dominance. They might be dominated over and they don't think about it. They may dominate other people and they just don't think about it. They don't think about the world in terms of dominance. But eights do. We are very well aware of dominance because we don't want to be dominated. Okay, I'm, I'm, it's coming to me now. It's coming to me. So most eights, the self-preservation eight and the sexual eight will do the dominance over. So I'm going to beat you to it. I'm going to dominate you before you can dominate me. But as a social aid, I'm not doing that. I'm like, oh, we're chill. Because if you know, if you've listened to my, either of my podcasts, you'll know I'm about this thing I call power with it. Let's just be with each, like let's share power, right? You know, dominate me. I'm not going to dominate you. Let's just, just be chill. But that's not how the matrix works. So so this is the thing I have to reconcile. Either I'm going to play out the the expectations of the social world and engage in dominance over just to protect myself from being dominant. Or I have to accept, which is what I'm trying to do, which is what I've been thinking about. I have to accept that I have a soft dominance. And what I mean by a soft dominance is that on the surface, I look mellow. I look chill. I look like we're good. Everything is fine. Because that's really where I want to live. I'd like to live in a chill place. I don't really have the energy to invest in dominating people. I don't care enough about people to do that. I don't care enough about people to dominate them. I really just don't. You do you, baby. And I'm going to do me. And we're all going to be happy. But if you, but I am still at the end of the day, I'm still sensitive to power and dominance. That's the, that's the, that is both the contradiction and the, but ultimately it's the conundrum in which I face as a soft dominant person. I, I, I project out mellowness, easygoingness. I project that out. I then make myself vulnerable to the social matrix of hierarchy and dominance of other people. And then because I'm sensitive to it, I pick it up. And then the moment I feel you, you're trying to dominate me, I, 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 I rebel. I don't just rebel. Yeah, I rebel. (laughs) I want to say I counter dominate, but I don't think that's true. And, and it's coming to me in real time. This is a really, this is a good reflection for me. I don't know how it sounds to you all, but this is good for me because I'm, I feel like I'm learning some things about myself right now. Cause I wanted to say I rebel because that's something that the eights are known to do. Okay. That's fine. But I wanted to say I counter dominate. I counter dominate. Can I say that? But I don't think that's true. I think I I dis I disrupt this. I think ultimately, when I find that a person is trying to 
when I find that a person is trying to dominate me, I don't just rebel for the sake of rebelling. I rebel for the sake of neutralizing the power structure. It reminds me of the fight I had with my cousin about 10 years ago. She lunged at me. She thought it was okay. She just thought it would be okay to physically assault me. She thought it would be okay. So because I was not like aggressively in her face, I wasn't talking loud because I don't do that. I don't, even when I try to make myself do it, it's awkward. I look weird. I just don't do it. So she probably mis, she miscalculated. She miscalculated thinking it was a safe space to lunge at me physically. And then we, I fought back, but I didn't fight back. I really honestly didn't fight back to hurt her, but I fought back to dominate her. So she would know in the future, just because I'm not demonstrative, just because I'm not um, um, walking around in that dominance, I am not to be physically dominated. I mean, I, I mean, everybody has a match. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm that fly, y'all. <laughs> and I'm older, right? And Lord knows that's the last fight I will ever have. Um, I pray that's the last fight I ever have. But, um, I mean, if someone else tries, that was the problem. I didn't ask for that fight. But that's the perfect illustration of this point about soft dominance and then counter-dominating, if you will, to neutralize the power structure. And so what happened with my cousin is that I had to fight back to dominate her, but not to hurt her. And once I had her subdued, I subdued her. I I remember this just clearly. I started speaking lovingly to her. Okay, I love you. I'm going to get up. I'm going to release you. But I don't want you swinging. (laughs) I don't want you swinging. And the whole time my grandmother's in the back, stop. It was just horrible. It was just a horrible, horrible experience. I just think and my grandmother would have had a heart attack during that. It would have felt horrible for me. But at the end, at the end of the day, and I don't know what else I was supposed to do. I wasn't going to just sit here and let her fight me, you know. And it's so funny how comfortable I am telling this story now. But when I first talked about fighting a year ago with you guys, I was like, oh, my God, this is so horrible. Yeah, it is horrible. It is horrible to fight boys and girls. Don't do it. But here's what I do say. Don't let anybody physically abuse you. If you can get away, get away. But don't sit there and, mm-mm, nope, 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 nope. Don't let someone hurt you. No. <laughs> but I think that's just the point. To illu- I'm, I'm just trying to illustrate a bigger point about counter-dominance. I don't have a desire to dominate people. And I wonder this about other INTJs. Like, I think... INTJ5 wants to intellectually dominate. I don't know why. I don't, I don't have time to get into it. Let me read this about the INTJ5 because I do want to say this one point. <laughs> okay, I'm, gonna, I'm reading from the book Dr. Beatrice Chestnut, The Complete Enneagram, is it? And I'm on the beginning of Chapter 7. Type 5 represents 
the archetype of the person who withdraws into thinking and detaches from feeling as a way of taking refuge in the inner world. This function as a way of finding privacy and freedom in a world that seems intrusive or neglectful or overwhelming. Oh, excuse me. This functions as a way of finding privacy and freedom in a world that seems intrusive or neglectful or overwhelming. So I believe INTJs, I believe most INTJs are five, fives. Most of them that are on the internet talking and they confuse when they, they're out teaching people about what INTJ-ness is. What they're actually doing is talking about what it is to be an INTJ5, okay? But that's another conversation. We'll have it another time. But INTJ5s being um, in that, as INTJs, we are, uh, I'd say we're heady. And um, I I would just say we're heady people. A five is going to go further into the headspace. Um. Hold on. Devel- I'm reading this. Uh, mm. The natural human need for people can be displaced into a thirst for knowledge, such that inter- that internal support comes through information and firm boundaries instead of social connections. So they just hide out in information, roll around in information, <laughs> and I often feel like an INTJ five feels. Like, I feel like they can access their TI in a way faster than I can, or in a way that's easier than I can. Um, not, I can access the TI, but when I'm doing TI work, I'm doing, I'm doing a theory building. I'm building a framework of knowing. I feel that when I talk to INTJ5s, they're just rolling around in information and they're rolling around in it. It's like they're, they're it's like they're happy. And even though, and this is what I say, INTJs, the TE is about execution. It's about application. It's about doing something with it. It's not just about, it's not just harboring information. It's not just harboring knowledge, right? But I could be biased and as a type, uh, as a type eight, I'm more instinctual. I'm more instinctual. I'm going to act out of that thing. I'm going to roll it out. Yeah. Anyway, so I don't even know why I went down to INTJ 5-8, but I, don't, I think that um, as a type 8, I am not hiding out in my head, although I think I think INTJs are, are antisocial because we just don't enjoy people. But as a type eight, I'm really antisocial, but then I'm a social, like that's I, as a, as a type eight, as a social type eight, I'm interested in power and I can draw power from groups. Um, so I'm not going to repress that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go hiding in my head. I'm not, um, Anyway, I feel like there's more I want to say to that, but, but anyway, the, 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 the sum of it all to wrap it all up is that, um, I just have been thinking about the, the being a soft 
a softer dominant person because I am sensitive to dominance. I'm sensitive to dominance. I pick it up. Um, I don't like, as true to other type eights, I don't like people to be oppressed. I don't like injustices. And this is one of the things when you know a healthy eight versus an unhealthy eight, we, you can't protect people from, uh, abuse of others and then become an abuser. That doesn't make sense. Although some eights I can see becoming an abuser because they just ultimately don't want to be vulnerable. So how they hide their vulnerability is by just being overly demonstrative of their power. And that doesn't, mm-mm, no, not at all. But it does make me think about how I run the, I'm going to continue to run the risk of bringing people to me because I'm not demonstratizing, demonstratizing power. Um, in this overt way, in an over way, like in a people way. When you see me at work, though, it's one of the reasons why I love my work and I love education. And even though, like, peas would, you know, at any perceiver, you know, um, perceivers with the P at the end of the four letter code of Myers Briggs. A struggle in the school setting because you have these structures, you got hallways, you got bills, you got schedules. I mean, you just have a lot of boundaries and I love it though, because I don't like to be boxed in, but I love the order of things because I, it protects me from dealing with people's emotions and their randomness. Although I'm working with someone right now who's incredibly random and it's driving me insane. Y'all, that's another reflection. It's driving me insane. And so I control structures. I will control structures and systems and outcomes. But outside of that, I'm good. I'm pretty neutral. But the moment those things happen, those systems get interrupted, I move into action. So anyway, y'all, this reflection is at any value for you. Please give it a heart. This conversation um, about dominance soft dominance um, and I don't really know how I brought in the type 5 I know how it relates to the type 8 I think I was just trying to add variance to INTJ like the INTJ 8 you know like I'm going to intellectualize my world I am going to intellectually strategize through it to take act, but as an INTJ five, if I were an INTJ five, I would probably become more reclusive. I might withdraw more. But as an INTJ eight, I see the same things that the INTJ five does, but I'm using my TE more to take action outward. And only thing I could say is the INTJ five goes inward. I don't know. I would love to, for an INTJ5 to weigh in on this. Poke it with me. Let's poke it out or dance it out. But anyway, this conversation about dominance and in the outer world and how you respond to it 
Do you respond to dom- dominance by being aware of it? Number one, do you respond to it by not being aware of it? Um, excuse me. And if you are aware of it, are you sensitive to what, where you fall in? Are you dominated or are you dominating? Um, anyway, if this conversation is, if these questions are questions you've had in the world, please take this link and share it out. There was also the first 20 minutes of this reflection talking about dating. <laughs> so, um, yeah, if you've had a con- the conversation I've had about dating, that I'm having about dating. Ooh, that's, I just feel burned just thinking about it. <laughs> I'll take this link and share it with those participants. One of the things I was saying as a soft dominant, I think that comes through with dating too, because if I'm dating and the person doesn't see me trying to take over charge, that person might step in to do and then we to take charge. And then we're bumping heads. That's what's happening. And that's what happens to me a lot. I don't really know how to reconcile the soft dominance where I'm at right now in my thinking is that I don't have to reconcile it. I just have to embrace it. I need to embrace the dynamic tensions that are associated with being a soft dominant person. I don't know. But anyway, if this, if me moving about in this reflection has caused some randomness in you, I'd love to hear it. You can find me on my website at yournidom.wordpress.com on Twitter, yournidom1 YouTube, and yournidom. And I'm trying to get back to Facebook. I don't know. I've set up a Facebook account for this project. I put it under a name, and Facebook has started putting that account in front of people that I know. That's all. Then this. What's the point of having an alias? Oh my gosh. Anyway, I'm so annoyed. So I don't know how to do this Facebook piece, but I really feel like it's going to be important for me to do so. Um, let me give you your assignment. I think I already gave you your assignment. What is your relationship to dominance? Are you aware of it? Are you aware? Are you, are you sensitive to it? Or do you only notice gross or loud acts of dominance? Do you see dominance at a subtle level? For those of you who see dominance at a subtle microscopic level, what is your relationship to it? Are you the one dominating? Are you the one uh, being dominated? Or are you doing some kind of dance between the two? And if you are dancing between the two, why? As a matter of fact, ask yourself why in any of those structures, if you're dominating, why? If you're being dominated, why? Like, what is it serving you? What does it serve you, benefit you to be dominated? And if you're doing some kind of dance, some kind of variation of each, why? What is it benefiting you? You guys, it's been a pleasure hanging out with you. Until I come back, be well. Bye.